Brothers and sisters, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 9 to 14. That's page 1042. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Please be seated. call upon the Lord for help now. Let's all pray. Father, as we come to your word, we know that no one is worthy to open it, save the Lamb of God. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you might open the scroll, that we might see our names graven in your palms. O Lord, grant us assurance. Send your spirit now. Open our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ again this day. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, friends of our church family, not that I'm judging you, but I wonder how many of you have ever watched TV before. Not that I would judge you if you have. If you have watched TV... You know that oftentimes when they have a Christian character, usually it's that type of stuff that's going on. A lot of looking down, a lot of judging, and um, yeah, I'm kind of exhausted by that. I'm kind of sick of it, and I'm sure that many of you are too. It's just over and over and over again. And you know, that's, um, I think Jesus is probably sick of it too, because Jesus already told that story like 2,000 years ago, here in our text this morning. Have we listened to God's grace? Have we heard about grace? Have we heard the good news? You know, there is a, a big difference, though, between the story that the TV tells us about Christians and the story Jesus tells us here. Jesus isn't 
trying to browbeat us. It's not trying to shame anybody. It's trying to humble us so that we would come to him for mercy and grace and trust in God's righteousness, not our own. And the point of the story for us to take away this morning is that we are all sinners. Each and every one of us is a sinner. How we're sinners, well, that's different. Some of us may be bold sinners and some of us may be pharisaical sinners, but we're all sinners. And sinners need to trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved, not themselves. And so we'll look at that in three points. First, we'll examine the self-righteous Pharisee. Then we'll look at the unrighteous tax collector. And then finally, I want us to camp out on the great reversal of the gospel. And so we open by looking at the Pharisee. And You know, one thing I think that jumps off the page at me here as we open the, the passage is that Jesus was not afraid of confrontation, was he? You notice that there in verse 9. So he saw people acting a certain way, and then he says something. And he doesn't say it to the disciples when they're gathered around the table afterwards. Can you believe what they were doing? No, he says it to them. Those who were trusting in themselves, thinking that they were righteous. He tells them, hey, let me tell you a story. You can imagine him, perhaps he was interrupting, you know, a moment of snobbery there. A put down. Let me tell you a story. He tells them. And you have to wonder, what did the audience think as Jesus begins this story? They didn't have Luke's narration there in verse 9. Jesus just starts off, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And, you know, it's an odd couple, boys and girls. They're very different people, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And they're going to a very special place. The temple, boys and girls, was so important for the Jews. Going to church today, that's super important for us. But the temple was like, super-duper important, like level 10 important to go to the temple. Everything happened there, right? They had the sacrifices, the priests were there. Everything happened at the temple. It was the place to be. And it was a good place to pray. And the Pharisee, as he's walking in, you can imagine him there fitting in with the temple crowd, the temple crew. He's there strutting in, you know, feeling right at home like he owned the place. And in the eyes of the world... Pharisees would have been seen as like the holiest of the holy guys, boys and girls. Pharisees were like way up here. And I wonder if we lived back then, what would we think of the Pharisees? I wonder if we would be impressed. You know, if we lived back then, maybe we might think that the Pharisees were the guys who had it all together. They might be the theological good guys. Why do I say that? They took the Bible very seriously. Well, that's a good thing. They set up Bible schools. They memorized whole swaths of Scripture. That's a great thing. We ought to be doing that. And not only that, they took obedience seriously. They took the law very seriously. We ought to be taking obedience seriously. We ought to be taking the law seriously. They took it so serious, they even set up their own laws so that they wouldn't get close to the actual laws. Well, maybe that was a problem, you see. But they had their doctrinal ducks in a row, didn't they? They really cared 
about their system. And they would duke it out with these guys called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, well, they were like the theological liberals of their day. They were playing fast and loose with the Bible. They said, oh, we only believe in the first five books of the Bible, not the rest. Sound like higher critics to me. The first higher critics, perhaps. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. Well, that's a problem. The Bible teaches that we have resurrected bodies in the last day. The Pharisees did. And the, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in uh, spirits or angels. They got all kinds of problems. And, you know, if we were getting involved in the theological arguments of the day, maybe we would say and look at the Pharisees and say, I want to toss my hat in the ring with those guys. They really look like they've got it going on by all appearances that I could see. Now, we know there's problems with the Pharisees, right, boys and girls? But appearances might have gotten us. And then we go and we see this man pray and get a load of the piety on this guy. I mean, wow, look at how much better he is than his neighbors. Look at how he prays. He's not even trying to hide it from God. Everybody knows it. Why would he bother hiding it? And you know, we know Pharisees, Jesus told us about them. He said they didn't mind other people checking out their prayer life. Jesus tells us that Pharisees, they love to have the long, fancy robes. They'd sit in the front of the synagogue, best seat in the house, so everybody could see them. And they'd make these really long, pretentious, ornate prayers to try to impress everybody with how holy they were. And you can picture the guy He's up there in front of the temple, hands outstretched, the holiest-looking squint you could picture on his face, so sincere. And what does he say? God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything I get. Not bad credentials, you know, if you're just looking at the outside. Anybody, uh, anybody want to say that they're an extortioner here today? Anybody want to say, yeah, I'm an extortioner? Of course not. The elders would want to talk to you about that <laughs> afterwards, I think. No, we shouldn't be extortioners. We shouldn't be adulterers. We shouldn't be unjust. These are all good things that he's saying. And on top of that, he, he doesn't only keep himself from gross sin. Look at the good he's doing. He's fasting twice a week. That's great. You know, the Jews were commanded to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. This guy's doing it twice a week. I mean, that's like 110 to 1. How much better is he doing than what's commanded? Wow, pretty good. And then he says he tithes everything he gets, even the little spices he gets out of his garden. He tithes that too. He's meticulous. And of course we should tithe today. Of course we should give offerings. I mean, by all outward appearances, maybe you and I might consider this guy like the dream church member. He's on the dream team for our church. And compared to that tax collector over there, I mean, it's no contest. No contest. The tax collector is like exhibit A in the Pharisees' argument to justify himself, you see. 
And you know, if God's not impressed by this guy's prayer, I'm sure his audience out there that was hearing him pray, I'm sure they were very impressed by his prayer. And I think one of the keys to the story here is that we understand the subject of this man's prayer. This man, the Pharisee, where is he? He's in the midst of the temple. You know, 60-foot high ceilings, gold-covered everything, incense in the air, pageantry, sacrifices all around, priests, choirs. I mean, it was amazing. It would be enough to cause our jaw to drop to the floor in amazement at God's holiness. And here is this Pharisee in the midst of all that holiness, calling upon that holy God and trying to get God to stand in awe of his holiness. He was just making sure that God noticed him. He's comparing himself to a, a false standard of holiness. He's even blind to the temple. He's blind to the law, really, the Ten Commandments. He hasn't kept them, not in the spirit of the law. And that always leads to pride. You know, being good or righteous is a great thing, but it needs to stand up to God's standard, not our standard, not our neighborhood's standard of righteousness. This man is bragging about how nice his lawn is, but he forgot that he's living in the slums, and you know, even the swankiest of slums still a slum. What are you bragging over? It's a different story with that tax collector, though. You know, this guy, by all appearances, brothers and sisters, we would look at him and say, this is the scum of the earth. Boys and girls, we would look at him and say, ooh, he looks yucky. He's a yucky guy, the tax collector. Tax collectors in Bible times, they were absolutely hated by the people of Israel because they were seen as sellouts and traitors. They're not like IRS agents today. What these people did, the tax collectors, is they betrayed the people of Israel and they would overcharge their own brothers and sisters in order to make money for the Roman oppressors and to line their own pockets. It was a really slimy way to live, and everybody knew it. So you see, you had like normal sinners, garden variety sinners, and then you had tax collectors way up here. These were like the big time sinners. These were, whoa, notorious. Everybody would have looked at them and said, ew, ew. I wonder who he would be today. I think if I could make a suggestion to you, the man in Jesus' parable today would not be a tax collector. I think he would be, I think he would be the guy who's pushing puberty blockers and all kinds of surgery for kids. And I wonder what our reaction would be if that man came walking in those doors one Sunday morning. I wonder what we would do if that man walked in here. I wonder what we do when we see him on the news at night, when we're sitting around the dinner table, sitting down for coffee break. How do we look at this man? Would we be tempted to pray 
Lord, I thank you that I'm not that guy. I think we might. Sin is always clinging to our hearts, and we need to fight that. You know, I think it would have been about as awkward as him walking in the doors of this church when that tax collector walked in the doors of the temple. But he didn't walk in there strutting his stuff like he owned the place. He came humbly, very humbly. And Luke gives us four signs of that humility. He says, first, the tax collector, he stood far off when he was praying. He didn't dare get too close to the temple and all the holiness that he saw. He dared not presume God's acceptance. And second, he didn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. You know, it was custom to lift your hands in those days when you prayed. This guy's so weighed down with a sense of guilt and shame that he can't even lift up his head. He's looking down. He can't look God in the eye. He can barely grovel at God's feet. And third, he beats his breast. It's a sign of repentance. He knows that he's the problem. The problem isn't out there. It's not his upbringing. It's not his education. It's his heart. That's the fountain of sin and iniquity. His own heart. He is the issue. He's symbolically saying, if I could get a hold of this culprit with my hands... And then we hear his confession. So simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knows God is holy, holy, holy. And he knows that he is a sinner. He doesn't try to hide behind anything that he's done. He doesn't come into the temple. He doesn't pray to God and say, Lord, I'm really sorry, but did you see how I volunteered this week? And, and, and Lord, also, did you see I went to church this, this week? I, I went to temple. That's got to count for something. No. It would be like trying to stop a tractor trailer building a wall of toothpicks. He doesn't try to hide behind any good that he's done. He just comes throwing himself on the mercy of God. He calls on God to be merciful, to atone for his sin. Sacrifice on my behalf. Cover my sins. Take the wrath that I deserve. He's not even asking for reward. He's simply asking for mercy and forgiveness. You know, maybe this man had just read the Ten Commandments and he's dumbfounded by how far short of the glory of God he fell. Or maybe... It was just walking to the temple and seeing all the splendor and glory of God's dwelling place in the temple that brought him to an end of himself. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean hands. I've robbed the poor and the widow to line my own pockets. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Notice what the text doesn't say about this man. It doesn't say that before he showed up at the temple, he made sure he paid back all his victims. Now, I'm sure he did afterward. But it doesn't say that he did that before he came. 
It doesn't even say that this man took a shower or that he went out and got a tie. He didn't say he tried to clean himself up before he came into the temple. The picture I get is he's undone. I mean, he is, he is just unkempt. He's beside himself. And here he comes into the temple. He's undone. He's dying of gunshot wounds here, brothers and sisters. Gunshot wounds of sin. He's not trying to justify himself or cover up those gunshot wounds with little band-aids. I mean, what is that going to do? No, he just throws himself into the ER of God's mercy, pleading for his life. Brothers and sisters, not trying to say that some sins aren't worse than others. They are. Some sins are more serious. But I want you to know that there are no small sins. Every sin is worthy of death. It will kill you. Every sin is worthy of eternal hell. And nothing that we do will ever earn our place in heaven. Brothers and sisters, it's not for us to judge others. Not even the tax collector. Leave that to God. He's the judge. We're judged by God. Don't presume to get up from your chair and walk up to where the judge is sitting and kick God out of his judge's bench. Don't do that. We're defendants. Thank God we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And don't, don't you dare get up from the defendant's chair like the Pharisee, walk over to the prosecution stand with the accuser of the brethren and try to put other people down to justify yourself. That's what Satan does. No, we ought to humbly come into the courtroom and ask for God's mercy like the tax collector did. You know, the parable, it ends with a tremendous reversal Jesus tells us that the tax collector went home not only forgiven, but justified. And the Pharisee didn't. Who would have guessed that, boys and girls? That is not what we would be expecting. The tax collector, he only asked for mercy. But Jesus did more than just atone for his sins. God has given him righteousness. He's not just back to square one. He's righteous. He's good now. That's amazing. Jesus said that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we shall by no means enter into the kingdom of God. But here we see Jesus saying, that tax collector, he's justified. He's more righteous than that Pharisee ever was. That's amazing. Now we're in the third point. I know we're, we're getting tired, so I've saved the big guns now, brothers and sisters. I've saved the big guns for this moment. We're going to talk about grammar. I know we all like grammar in the morning. That word justified, it's a verb. Verbs can be active or they can be passive. An active verb is something that you do. 
Do we justify ourselves? See, that's what the Pharisee was trying to do. He was trying to actively justify himself. That word justified there is passive, meaning it was done to the tax collector. The tax collector was justified by somebody else. He rested, and God's righteousness justified him. Not his own righteousness, but God's righteousness saved him. What does that mean? It means salvation is from God alone. It means salvation is by grace through Jesus Christ alone. It's not us. It's all Jesus. And Jesus explains that God will exalt those who humble themselves and humble those who exalt themselves. And so perhaps one last thing we might be concerned about is, are we justified by our own humility, though? Well, no. It's passive, brothers and sisters. We rest. It's not our own humility. Our humility is not even close to humble enough to justify ourselves. We need to be humbled of our humility. We're not justified by our repentance even. We need to repent of our repentance. We're justified by Jesus Christ alone out of sheer grace. And we ought to repent. We ought to be humble. But we ought to keep our eyes on God's standards of humility and righteousness and repentance and not our own something I think we also need to get clear about this story. It's not just that obvious contrast between pride and humility, but we've got to pay attention to the setting of this story. Both men went up to the temple to pray. You know, the temple wasn't just a place of prayer in the Old Covenant. It was, in a sense, the mediator of prayer. It was the go-between from heaven and earth. It's where heaven touched earth at the temple under types and shadows. It was like a preview of what was to come. God promised Solomon that if the people humbled themselves and sought the Lord by praying in the temple or toward the temple, God would hear their prayer and restore them. Wasn't that the Old Testament people of God were justified by trusting in a brick and mortar building? Wasn't that they were justified by the blood of bulls and goats? They were justified by faith in what that temple pointed to the true temple, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true temple, brothers and sisters. He said that he would destroy this temple raise it up in three days, speaking about his body, so that now we can come to God the Father through our great mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true and finished temple of God, humbly looking to him, praying in Christ, in the Spirit, trusting that God will hear us if we come humbly, trusting in his promises, his word, his righteousness, and not our own. He'll forgive us based on what he did on the cross. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. 
you know, I think this parable needs to hit home today. I think we need to hear that there's some sad news. And the news is this. Many people are going to come to Jesus just like the Pharisee did. They're going to come to the temple, the true temple, Jesus Christ, just like the Pharisee went to the temple. They'll look upon Jesus, the greatest of all cathedrals, as he's hanging there on the cross, bleeding for the sins of the world. And that great act of humility. And they'll say to him, God, I thank you that you've given me such humility. As the blood drips down from the crown of thorns, we come and we boast of our own humility. Brothers and sisters, humility is a wonderful thing. We ought to be humble. But without the cross, even our virtues become vices. Now those who come to Jesus like this, they come to the temple, but they decided unwittingly to build their own little temple in Calvary's backyard. And they may exalt themselves even unwittingly for a time. But that temple to self will be destroyed and they will be humbled. You know, I'm convinced that we all do this to an extent. I'm convinced we're all part Pharisee. Sometimes we're obvious about it. Other times it's subtle. We can pray, God, I thank you that I'm not the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm not Exhibit A here in this story today. I've heard your call to humility. And we end up boasting to God in our own humility. We forget why Jesus told the story in the first place. There in verse 9, some were trusting in their own righteousness and treating others with contempt. We can do exactly what the Pharisee did to the tax collector. It's just as easy for us to do it to the Pharisee as it was for him to do it to the sinner. And we unwittingly lift ourselves up and we should be letting the Lord be the lifter of our heads. What's the answer to this? What is the good news? Let's boast in the cross. Let's boast in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let that be our glory. Jesus Christ. Let's really go to the true temple and really pray, humbly seeking Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to Jesus. You've never given your life over to the Lord. I want to invite you right now. If you hear the voice of Jesus convicting you of sin and calling him and calling you to be forgiven, come to him. Put your trust, put your faith in him right now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but come. He bled and died for sinners. Maybe you're here today and you feel yourself afflicted by sin. 
You feel the weight of your sins, and they're weighing down on you. You can barely sleep at night. You're kept up with a cold sweat. If anybody knew what I did, I could never look them in the face, let alone God. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Are you a sinner? Then come to Jesus Christ and ask for mercy. Maybe you're here today, and when you watch TV, you know you're afflicted by that caricature. It hits too close to home when you see all the Pharisaism, the hypocrisy, and you know that you're a Pharisaical sinner. Jesus died for even Pharisaical sinners. Are you a sinner? Come to Jesus asking for mercy. He is faithful to forgive and justify. Brothers and sisters, we're all sinners. No matter what stripe of sin afflicts you, Jesus' blood is good enough to cover it. Put your trust in him. Brothers and sisters, it was not the one who came to God falling upon his own humility that went home justified. It was the one who fell upon the mediator. It was the one who fell upon Jesus Christ and his atonement for sin that went home justified. Falling upon Jesus and him crucified, that, that is what true humility is. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you that salvation has come to us by Jesus Christ, who's given us grace upon grace. Oh, Lord, we come trusting in you, in Jesus Christ and his atonement, his mercy for sinners. We pray now that you might send your spirit to build us up, to edify us, and to cause us to trust in you even now, knowing that you call all those without money and without price to come to the waters and live, to buy wine and milk without price because you've bought it all at Calvary. So, Lord, we come humbly as beggars, pleading your mercy, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ on behalf of us. O Lord, have mercy. Save us, we pray, and restore the joy of our salvation. We thank you. For the good news, Lord, that salvation is totally and utterly your work. Oh, Lord, cause us to rest in the cross. Free us from sin and guilt, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.